grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Well, good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great day. I have. It was a great day today. Anyway, my guest tonight, um, is, uh, we're going to be talking UFOs and alien abductions. Something we like to talk about here. And uh, this gentleman has a great story to tell. His name is Steve Aspen. Anyway, uh, my name is Charlotte. I'll be your host tonight. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state which means we can get to you uh, wherever you are. And also, we also have branches in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. Getting back to our show today, our, my guest tonight um, talks about missing time and alien abductions. This happened to me. I, I, I was traveling down the freeway with a friend of mine uh, a few years ago, and uh, suddenly we looked out the window, and everything looked really odd. It looked like the freeway had turned to, like, it was when I was a little kid because I remember traveling when I was little. My dad used to have these hatchbacks and I used to ride in the back of the hatchback and I would lay down, you know, and look up at the sky as we were driving and I, we would go under these bridges and the bridges would have like ivy on them. It was like old style. It was like the old days, like when I was, you know, like I said, when I was four or five years old. So as I'm driving along that night, and this is like nine o'clock in the evening because we were headed headed to a movie. And as I'm driving along, I'm looking at the bridges, and the bridges all suddenly have ivy on them, like they did when I was a kid. And I looked at my friend, and she looked at me, and then I looked out off to the right and off to the left, and there were no street lights. Nothing was there. And I was in the middle of a very populated area. There was nothing there. And the next thing I know pitch black outside and it's like three hours later and we're sitting in a field in the car no explanation no nothing and we kind of looked at each other and we laughed and we said oh we've been abducted ha 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 and then we turned around and went to a movie <laughs> you know we drove back we, we were like four we were, we were like 30 minutes out of out of our way too so we drove back to the main city and went to the movies but we did. We just kind of looked at each other and left. Oh, we've been abducted. Here we are. We're a statistic now. So who knows what happened? That's why when I get people, when I get when I bring people on like 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 Steve, I'm fascinated to talk to them because I don't know to this day, and, it, and it's 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 twenty like twenty years later, and I still don't know to this day what happened on that particular day when we when when we lost time, when things looked so different. All right. So anyway, let's bring Stephen and let's hear his story because I've just read his book and his book is fantastic. He's got a, he's got accounts from other abductees in there and he is a lifelong abductee. And so it was it was just an absolutely fascinating read and scary at the same time. So let's bring him in. Hi. Hi. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sure your audience will be able to understand my British accent. Absolutely. I had somebody Scottish on the other night. Okay. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. They're great people. <laughs> yes, it is. No, actually, I have, I have cousins that live in England. Okay. Whereabouts? Do you know whereabouts? Uh, Croydon. Oh, yeah. That's south of London. Yeah. Yeah, it's in Surrey. Yeah. I yeah, used to I live down there that way. I have cousins in Croydon. I have cousins that live near Canterbury. Canterbury's in Kent. It's uh, out on the. It's out uh, near the Channel Ports. Yes, I've yeah. been there too. So you know. Yeah. I'm familiar. Your book was probably. I have read the um, Mojave Incident. Right. Okay. I thought that was a scary book, but your book mm -hmm. really scared me. With the stuff really I, okay it wasn't meant to scare but um <laughs> i'm uh, apologize for that reaction oh, no, um, it, it it wasn't scary per se it was just some of the stuff in there 
I had never read about, which is nice, you know, because you, yeah. you, you read books. Yeah, it, it's, I, I packed a lot in, but I, I what what I tried to do, um, I, I've got my own story, as many abductees have, uh-huh. but the book is not fundamentally my story. There's a lot of books in the public domain um, about abductees. Um, this happened to me and that happened to me when I was three and this happened to me when I was seven and, and I went through this and I, they did that to me. It's not one of those books. It, it's, it uses my, um, my experiences as a jumping off point in the first part of the book to explore what the phenomenon is and what its origin is and um, things about the phenomenon that are universal. And uh, it's a book about uh, uh, investigating the abduction phenomenon, mm-hmm. which is a, um, a quite an, uh, an important and significant part of the UFO um, issue. I, I um, was motivated to write it because although I had a, a lot of the manuscript in draft for, for many years, I, I didn't really want to publish it because, you know, it's, it was basically my own personal record. After... Um, Helen Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal, and Leslie Kane wrote that the article in the New York Times in uh, 2017 about the ATIP program and mm-hmm. the Pentagon and black money and so forth. Um, the UFO issue acquired a kind of legitimacy it's never had before, in, mm-hmm. in particularly in the United States, and it, it spilled over into the rest of the world. So the, the phenomenon itself is taken more seriously than it ever used to be taken because of the naval pilots and the the videos and the radar track tracings and so forth, the congressional he- uh, hearings in recent months. And I thought it was um, time, really, that I, I wrote this book as a contribution to the, uh, to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a, a recent history of my, my decision to publish. And we can, you know, we can take it from there if you want. Well, yeah, and one of the things that you had towards the end of this book that I have been thinking for a long time is that they're integrating themselves in with us. That's what they're doing. And that's well, the, it's and that's so. what yeah. that's been the ultimate plan that they're integrating. Maybe they might even be replacing us. Like when you, when you talk about yeah. how, how they're, they're, they're working our DNA so much and trying to bring the same people over, you know, back over and over and over to get, yeah. they're trying to look like us. Like, like for instance, and this may be a far-fetched thought, but and I'm not a conspiracy mm. theorist or theorist or anything like that. But one that looks like me, let's say we say I go up there, get I get mm. you know, captured. There's somebody that looks just like me, and the next thing I know, that that one's down here instead of me, and they're taking over. They're taking over. Mm. Uh, that maybe I don't have any evidence of that. You see, right. um, but it may be it may be happening. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, extraordinary aspects of this phenomenon right what i wanted to do to writing the book was have um present to people who didn't really know a lot about the abduction phenomenon um the facts of uh, of of the abduction program i, it, I think it's a program mm-hmm. and it involves um several hundred million people worldwide and it's inter- intergenerational it goes back to the 1890s maybe the 1900s and I, I write about the origin abductees and how, right. how and where and how uh, and when it started in the later chapters, um, because there's a lot of information about this. And when you talk to as many abductees as I have, and when you investigate it with enough rigor and enough um, detail for long enough, you can really pick out quite a lot of um elements of the program that you can be fairly certain about not absolutely definitively certain but you can be fairly certain um as an example every abductee in the world in the world in the human race uh has is descended from an origin abductee in the i think it's the program began in in the 1890s that's 130 years ago Mm -hmm. and i bring quite a lot of evidence um, to the table in the book to um, explain how you can be fairly certain of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a rather lot to go into. Um, 
you know, in, in the interview, but but if you if people read the book, they will get a handle on that, which may maybe in a way that they've really never done before. That's true. I mean, I have to, I, I agree completely. I never thought about, you know, I knew that there were generational abductees, you know, within families, yeah. but I didn't think it would go back as far like, like you say, like in yeah. the 1800s with, with some of these families. Yeah. Um, when I was um, about 10 years old in about 1966, 67, I asked one of the abductors, which I didn't at the time, it's very important to emphasize that I had no clue or any idea that it was to do with extraterrestrial life mm -hmm. or flying saucers or anything. Absolutely no idea it was to do with that. I, thought, I assumed that what was happening to me was a part of the spirit world, part of the um, fairy world, part of the, uh, the, the, you know, the occult sort of things that, that go right. on for centuries i didn't realize it is 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 anything extraterrestrial about the phenomenon when, when i was 10 but um i asked one of the abductors on one of the abductors as why were they doing this to me in particular and mm -hmm. what you know as respectfully as i could and and he answered and a very offhand bored sounding voice which they 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 can often be like that right. he said oh it's because of your mother and your grandmother and your great grandmother, and mm -hmm. you're next in the line. End of con end of conversation. She and he moved on. So that stuck with me. And I asked my grandmother about this um, during the following months because I didn't see her very often because she lived about 200 miles from where, where we lived. Mm -hmm. And um, she just said to me, "Oh, Stevie, this was when I was 10 years old. You know, oh, they're ju they're just the pixies. They're the pixies. They'll pick you up and they'll always bring you back." And she just thought it was something that happened to some kids mm -hmm. and that it needed to, to be explained to them um, when they asked about, you know, when the, the child asked or was ready to ask about it. Right. It needed to be explained to him that it wasn't anything to be really frightened of, even though it was kind of a, a bit frightening um, right. because he she just said, oh, well, they'll always bring you back and they don't really harm you just you know not not exactly don't take any notice of it but it's part of life you know right it's just it's just something that you go through so i, I never forgot that uh uh dialogue you know you know they they communicate with you telepathically mm -hmm. all the time i mean this is what all abductees report all the time that the communication is as 100 telepathic and you know if one of them is talking to you and you can hear a voice which is not your voice which is some uh, they have male and female kind of voices and the tall ones in particular uh, can be of either gender, but the small ones, maybe uh, some people think they're like robots and some people think they're all, all guys, you know, they're all guys. Um, that, that's our subject in itself, which I right. go into the, into the book as well. Right. And the other thing that struck me too, because I have interviewed people who claim to be emissaries for the aliens, mm. you know, and yeah. you touch that. But what I found interesting, you know, in, in what, because like I said, whatever happened to me back, back in the day, who knows, I've never gone, I've never had regression done or anything like that. So I don't, mm -hmm. to this day, I don't know. Sure. But when you talk about the, some of these women that have been interviewed in like some documentaries I've seen where they've talked about uh, when they were impregnated and they saw the most beautiful human, the most beautiful mm -hmm. human man. Mm -hmm. And they grew to realize like, like you did when you saw your cousin, that mm. it was a projection. It was like a holographic projection of, mm. of this beautiful man so that, that mm. the woman wouldn't become alarmed, you know, d during pro procreation. And mm. that's what's scary too, is that, you know, that the thought that you could be taken aboard and, and your deceased mother is standing there to, is to calm you down. Yeah. They, they, um, what they can do sometimes that they have a lot of, power of over the neurological um apparatus of humans and it's a very sophisticated and advanced genetic science they have um i don't really understand nobody really understands how they do it but they do somehow um they can have uh, the, the example you, you give there's a couple of examples in a quote in the book one where i was shown my father who passed away three years earlier 
uh, and it's, this was in 2006, he, he died in 2003. And another incident um, in 2008 when I, I was shown a young, very young relative who was at that, at that time six years old. And in, in both cases, the, the image of my relative was really vivid and technicolor and 100% real. And right in front of me, and the, what they do is, if is the alien is right there, you don't see the alien for at all. You just see this projection of your relative, and they put it into your mind somehow and make they make you see that. And um, I think one of the reasons they do this, and maybe the reasons vary sometimes, is to get cooperation and compliance from abductees, and to make the abductee think that they're special and that they're having a and um, a life after death, well, not not themselves, but you know, they're seeing a dead relative, or they're right, they're right, right. you know, they 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 want the abductee to feel at ease, basically, and and sometimes they tell them they're special and they've got a message from for humanity for for the abductee and so forth. So there's all these little tricks they use to get your cooperation. Um, it's a very big, very big subject, but that's one of the, one of the elements in the book that I go into in some detail in one of the chapters. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense because they, I mean, the last thing they want is you to be taken aboard there and, and start raising raising hell. You know, when you're up there. Well, there there are examples of this in the literature where where some people manage to break the control because uh -huh. they they can paralyze people and they can. Um, they can um, so that you can only move either your eyeballs or your your legs and arms very slowly. Mm -hmm. So they can tell you to sit on the couch and lie down, and you can the, all those muscles will work, and then mm -hmm. you can't move after that. So there, there are there are very sophisticated levels of neurological control, um, and then they can look into your eyes um, with this, these staring procedures and. Somehow they can connect into the optic nerve that that mm -hmm. goes into the brain, and this is a very sophisticated neurological procedure, uh, which I talk about in the book because there's quite a lot of evidence of exactly how they do it. And one of the reasons um, of for the missing time, I mean, a lot of your audience will have heard this phrase. They'll they'll know that um, you know you can you, um, at the onset of the abduction, it's like six o'clock in the evening and you might be driving down the country road and right. suddenly it's half past eight in the evening just like that mm -hmm. and you think something weird happened you know and i saw this object in the sky and something weird happened and it's now suddenly half past eight the time is not gone because you lived through it what's happened is the memory of it is not in your short-term memory it's right. been buried in the long-term memory so you can't access it and it just looks like that mm -hmm. the time just gone but the, the the experience that you went through is still in in your memory but it's it's buried in a place that you you have you find very difficult to access so it seems like you've had the time is missing i just found the your book was and it was so thorough you did such such a thorough job with those chapters i mean you, yeah. you can't deny you. what happened to you and what's happened to other people, you know, when you talk about. Yeah. I, I wanted, uh, um, the, the, the structure of the book is basically the, the first chapter and the first part of it is about m my experiences as I was growing up to young adulthood and through the, through middle age. And it, they're kind of spaced out and each one is different in character to some, you know, to each other. So, you know, there's a cattle mutilation that I witnessed in, in Ireland in 1970. And there's there's um, a trigger event abduction that I, uh, I went through in 1972 when I was 16 years old. And there's other other hints, other instances that, that are all slightly different in character. reason I do this is so that um, an abductee or somebody who thinks they might be an abductee or somebody is looking for the reason why all this weird stuff happens to them can maybe get some clues as to what to what they should look for as a pattern in their lives so once i've got i've gone gone through that process i just then there's, there's the second chapter is, is just uh, about um i call it um 
a spectrum of early cases. It's seven cases from the literature which are very thoroughly investigated, involved invariably more than one abductee, like the Hill case and the right. Allagash case and right. so forth, and the Travis Walton case, which was witnessed by um, six other people and so forth. Um, so each of these cases was very extensively investigated, I had books written about it, I had reports written about it. The abductees themselves were extensively interviewed and investigated and polygraphed and so forth. So what what has shaken out at the end of this process is certain things about those abductions that you can say we can be very confident about that, uh -huh. you know. Um, and I juxtapose that against my own experience in the first chapter so that the, the reader has something to grab hold of other than just what I remember, right. what, what, I, what happened to me. And you can, we can build something on top of this. And, and after that, I, I, I dive into what's actually going on. And I've, I've interviewed maybe 30 or 40 abductees in the, in the past 15 years. And I've got to know some of them quite well. And they all have their own memories and their own experiences. And I distill down the, the, what I consider to be the important aspects of, of each case um, without, without um, identifying finding the people. I just weave them into the narrative so that you can get different perspectives on the, ver the veracity of what might be going on. So it's it's a it's quite a journey. It's like, it's like a it's like a story. You know, it, the book is like a story. It's not like um, this happened to me and that happened to me and this happened to me and that happened to me and then this 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 did and this. Um, I I actually investigate, dive into different aspects of the phenomenon and try to get to grips with it and explain what's really happening. Yeah. What I like about your book, though, is is, is you give your background, then then you, mm. you give more examples of other people that have been abducted. But then you yeah. also go into more technical stuff, like like when you talk about the implants, you know, and the, and the yeah, way out, I, I, what's going on. Yeah, it, it's very important for me to, to bring really hard scientific, forensic, medical evidence to the table. Uh -huh. And I, I took a lot of trouble with that. And um, because I, I had a scoop mark um, biopsy in my left shoulder, uh, sorry, uh -huh. right shoulder, that was um, investigated by a dermo. So pathologist in Manhattan in 2008 and it was filmed by breakthrough films and Bud Hopkins was involved in this and so forth. And, um, I, there's a lot of photographs of bodily scarring and bruising that I, I put that is in the book in a, in a different appendix. And there's, um, there's an examples of some hairs that were, were recovered from an abduction. And I, I, I give, quite a lot of context in chapter four to to um to the the uh, finding of the hairs some of them were in in my house which is why i i try to find a, a, a laboratory to, to analyze them right and some of them were from a different com completely different abductee in southern california actually um and her samples ended up in the same lab in uh, illinois and so we've got we've got a, a, a forensic analysis of um of these hairs that's um of surprising uh um results let's uh -huh. let's put it that way but without going 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 into it too much right. so there's that and there's there's the implants of course you probably some of your audience will know who dr roger lear was uh -huh. and his um uh his colleagues like mastriano they were surgeons in, in southern california who took out removed 18 surgical implants from abductees over uh, 19 years and um there's a chapter on on an extremely detailed analysis of one of them uh from a, a materials science laboratory uh, so there's a lot of medical uh, forensic scientific stuff in there mm -hmm. which is pretty difficult to argue against because you know the, these people are this is official these are official scientific reports mm -hmm. and official medical reports and um i bring um um medical doctors like um john miller into the frame and get all all his ideas about um uh laparoscopies and and harvesting of ova from female abductees so it isn't isn't just anecdotal stuff it's really right 
scientific stuff, you know, I wanted to include that so that people could not dismiss it so easily. Right. And that's what I found so fascinating. Yet at the same time, it was scary, <laughs> you know. With well, the it is scary. The, 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 the more real it gets and the more scientific and factual it becomes, the more scary paradoxically it becomes because it, you can't dismiss it so much then. Mm -hmm. You know, when you've got the evidence in front of you uh, with a scientific report, you've got to kind of at least pretend to take it seriously. And then the eye opener with the, you know, with the implants, when you go into detail about what they're made out of, you know, and, and that makes yeah. sure that's the wow yeah. fact too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very complicated. They're complicated nano devices. They're tiny, but you can see them with the naked eye, but only just. And their um, their their coatings are of um hemociderin and keratin and um another substance that makes them completely biocompatible with the body so the body has no inflammatory response to them uh -huh. and they have nerve pre-receptors appropriate proprioceptors I, I beg your pardon um in incorporated in them so that who knows what they're for but they they do um they do transmit radio waves in three separate frequencies Mm -hmm. um and the the core of these um um inside this this keratin and hemocyderin shell which is a uh, bi biological material the core is um of isotopes of iron magnesium and, and other metals tiny little traces of each which are haven't uh, um isotopes which are non-terrestrial right like I don't know whether you, uh, many of your audience will know this, but terrestrial iron has a certain um, relationship between the number of protons and the number of neutrons in its nucleus. And iron from iron nickel meteorites, which we, we, we occasionally recover from um, uh, when, when they, fell to, they fell to Earth, have different isotopic ratios. So um, some of these... Um, substances at the core of these implants are non-terrestrial isotopes which means they've got to they have to have come from somewhere outside the planet they have to right. the, the the source material has, has to have come from out there and you know that this um there's a, a very meticulous and extensive analysis of of one of these implants in particular in um, one of the appendices which again i bring a, a ton of scientific evidence oh, to the yeah, table absolutely. about this yeah Absolutely. Yeah. This book is incredible. Um, yeah. When you talk about, you know, where they put them to, they're in such mm -hmm. an area that they insert them that I, what, normal x-rays can't pick them up, can they? The x-rays can pick up the ones at the top of the nasal pharynx okay. and the, the top, the ones um, um, on the nasal side of the cribiform plate, just where the um, olfactory nerve goes into the brain. And sometimes they can pick up ones in deeply deep in the ears, but you have to know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. And there are an, a, a very difficult to access places uh, where conventional human surgery, which is quite sophisticated nowadays, mm -hmm. finds it very, very difficult to get at these implants. Mm -hmm. um, Roger Lear and his team, Lear, Roger was, um, he died in 2014, but uh, throughout his career, he was a, a podiatric surgeon so he was concentrating on surgery on the legs and feet and right. toes and so forth right. so most of the um objects he removed were from those parts of the body the more the more interesting parts of the body are in the brain in the nasal pharynx in the ears and so forth and you you can um in the literature you can find x-rays of those implants and in, in in various parts of the head but they're very very difficult to remove uh, surgically i mean not impossible but you know the problem is ta getting taken seriously you know to a, right. a to look for them and b to have a surgical team that is dedicated to removing them and c uh, to be able to analyze them without destroying them so there's a lot right. of barriers to to successfully uh investigating this stuff i just wonder you know for them to get them in like you say into that cavity up there if that's yeah. part of that whole eye, like like you talked about the removing the eye, you know, and, and going in and, and, and doing surgical stuff up in the brain and then putting the mm. eye back in, if that's part of that, you know, because they're inserting mm. that thing up there. 
Mm-hmm. It's just it just boggles the mind what they can do. The other thing that struck me too was when you ask them why are you doing this, and they say, you know, because we can, you know, and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> and it makes me wonder because there's always these stories about the government knowing what's going on, you know, and that maybe there's some kind of pack mm. going on with the governments. And that's why they have the permission to go in and do They feel that they have the permission to do this stuff. Yeah. You know, you got to ask the question, is that all governments? Like there's 174 nation states in the UN. Mm-hmm. And is that all governments that are involved in this or, or just mm-hmm. the government of the United States, which is right. quite honestly, you know, unlikely, unlikely. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think, mm-hmm. to be honest, I think it's extremely unlikely that anybody in the government could um, could give permission for this because the aliens don't need permission. Right. They can just uh, take people from from wherever you know, whenever they want, from wherever they want, and they can do whatever they like. And you, you know, they can immobilize um, abductees, and they can they can insert things in their bodies and so forth and they can put them back and the abductee doesn't remember anything either because the abduction happened when they were asleep or because they've just had a a seamless missing time and they just feel it's a bit strange and a bit odd and they have maybe a, a, a few scars and marks in their body but you know whether they don't i mean as there's something in the in the um in the book uh it's a quote from a really old movie which um a humphrey bogart movie for we don't need no stinking badges do you know that freight mm-hmm, you know that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that quote we don't need no stinking badges when yeah. when you know he, he asks if your deputies wear your badges and they the bandits say we don't need no stinking badges the aliens don't need no stinking permission mm-hmm. they don't need human humans to to, to uh you know to uh, allow them to do this they just do it because they can and that's i mean i i think you know and you call it a program and, and yes. I, agree, I agree with you on that because yes. obviously they've yeah. been doing this whatever yeah. they're doing they've they, they've improved over the years because we don't know exactly what they were doing yeah. in the 1800s but whatever it is yeah. they've slickerized it and by using the hybrids or hubrids as you call them nowadays yeah. and that's again that's another calming mechanism so, you know that that's almost like another calming mechanism for taking us mm. aboard because we see these these things that look like us yeah i i have to have to um say at this point that i don't go into the integration program or the uh-huh. the, the you know the, the oft talked about integration program right. that much i just kind of mentioned that some people think this is happening and this is the evidence for it but the evidence is not complete and i really don't go there in a in a meaningful way that that george knapp told me um you know that will be for a second book, <laughs> uh, see, uh, which I'm not contemplating writing at the moment. But um, um, I, 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 um, I don't really get into the integration program. There, there's obviously some reason they're doing this. When they take people and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and then the first generations die off, there's obviously some reason why they're doing that. And it's not just um, because it's more convenient. Right. Uh, it's some, there's something in the genetic code they're playing around with. And it's very, you know, I don't speculate on, on this th- that much mm-hmm. because it's very, very difficult to understand what's going on. I do talk about the intergenerational aspect, which is in the subtitle of the book. You know, it's, it's called... Um, out of time, the intergenerational program explored. You know, you, you probably, yeah, right. Uh, the the intergenerational abduction program explored, but um, you know, the book isn't just that. But the intergenerational nature of the program is very important in understanding the uh-huh. abduction phenomenon itself in all its aspects. Well, that was the other thing too with the book, and like I said earlier, what I get the impression with all this is that. At some point, there's another you up there, or there's another me up there. Yeah, maybe. And, uh, I know. I know some abductees believe that. Yeah, and, and when know. they and when the time comes, 
they're going to wipe like like like, like you kind of insinuated towards the end of the book that mm. the, the the takeover on the earth so why not do it in a way where one by one they pluck everybody off and replace them with an alien that looks just like you know just like the person they plucked off yeah that has to be speculation charlotte it, that yeah. might be happening but i don't um i can't really go there you exactly. know because it's not that kind of book that, that i understand I've written. i understand yeah? Understand. It might be. I'm just saying that's the impression sure. that, that I got in there. And the times yeah. that in the times that you were abducted and, and taken, mm. what stands out the most for you about the abductions? Well, they're they're covert for a start. They are they have enough control over the abductees' neurology and memories to make sure that he or she doesn't remember anything or remembers almost nothing they just have a deep feeling that that night when i was driving to wherever it was you were driving to right. and i saw that light in the sky and then suddenly it was two hours later and i felt really strange after that uh, but i can't make any sense of it i can't get to it that's the, what they're left with so mostly the memories are effectively buried uh -huh. So it's clandestine, which means that they can take you and they can they can make the abductions, make certain the abductions are not seen or witnessed. Like there's very rare exceptions, like the Travis Walton case. You know, you, right. you interviewed Travis, right? Right. I interviewed him, yes. I did. So you know, you know, his 1975 abduction experience had six witnesses in the truck on the mountain road so and he he was missing for five days and nights and then he turned up famished and exhausted and dehydrated so that was there that but that's it's because travis's abduction is so exceptional that mm -hmm. we know about it you know that that's why it's a famous case because the things that normally apply to abductions in his case were suspended or gone round somehow and mm -hmm. you know that there's um the witness case in in uh, manhattan in 1989 november 1989 which is equally well known maybe not quite as well known as travis's case but um that was witnessed by over 20 people maybe maybe 50 or 60 people but you know bud hopkins has letters and correspondence from uh more than 20 individuals under their own names which i've seen i've, I've actually seen the, the correspondence and um, I know the identities of some of these people, um, but um, obviously, you know, a lot of them have passed on because this is so many years ago now. Um, and th there are some other cases where the abductions are witnessed. Uh, I think the um, the Pascagoula case when, in 1973, Hickson and Parker were abducted by the Pascagoula River. Um, and later many years later i think a few any i can't remember how many years later but that somebody came out of the woodwork and said by the way i saw that craft with its blue lights on and it, i saw it uh coming down by the river where those guys were and um you know and the next thing they were gone so somebody saw something there but it's because these cases are exceptional that we know we know about this aspect of the phenomenon um 99.9 percent .9 of abductions are not witnessed and 99.9 percent .9 of abductions go unrecorded and unremembered mm -hmm. that's why it's so successful and it's, it's the occasional screw-ups or partial screw-ups or you know um some people don't believe that the um uh the um Linda Cortile abduction for for, for mm -hmm. want of a, a better description, and in Manhattan in 1989 was it was an accidental. They believe it was intended to be seen. I don't know that, but um, it was seen by an awful lot of people. So if it was intended, if if sorry, if it was if we, if that abduction was accidental, um, it was seen by an awful lot of people, but it's because of the, these incidents are quite rare that the they stand out as 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 significant because most abductions are not witnessed at all and are not are, are not remembered and not recorded
and mm-hmm. it's an extremely successful program in that they they do this to people all their lives and nearly everybody like 95 percent, maybe 98 percent of abductees are unaware that it's going on they just have weird lives and they just have strange experiences that happen to them they don't know what the or causative agency is and it's extremely successful in that regard i've got a friend who walks her dog every evening around 10 or 11 yeah and she's forever telling me even though um it's near a former air, air force base that, that she does this but she's forever telling me that that there's lights in the sky that follow her when she's walking maybe well yeah 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 so you don't yeah. know you know, because there's, so- there's a there's a lot of paranormal stuff which attends abductees as well. I mean, I right. I I I in chapter three, which when I go into this program, there's a list of thirty five things that that abductees tell me happen mm-hmm. to them. And uh, one of them is um, is lights, uh, bright lights flying around inside the inside their homes. Yes, even in the daytime. Yes. Um, that's not happened to me. But not not all these phenomena happen to all abductees, or, or not all abductees remember them. But that mm-hmm. that has reported by enough people f- to convince me that that it's a thing. It happens to many. So you are still being abducted now, are you? Aren't you? Um, I think the last one was m- maybe April, but I it, there's possibly incident, been incidents since then. Mm-hmm. When when uh, an implant, I I coughed out an implant f- from up here in the, the nasal pharynx uh, in February, which I I go into in the book and I I, I quote uh, a long message I sent to Robert Hastings and to Bob Jacobs, mm-hmm. um, who was the um, the U.S. Air Force p- um, guy uh, f- filming the Big Sur incidents in the 1960s. If if you know you know about that, Robert right. and Bob wrote um, a book about their own abduction experiences called Confession. I wrote to them about this. Uh, implants being uh, I coughed out this implant because I know Robert Hastings really well um, in February this year and I think they replaced it in April and there's very strong evidence for for both for the ejection and for the replacements which I won't go into you know in in, in this interview that's in the book right yeah and you're not the first one that's that that sneezes these things out or coughed them out there's been others that have done that yeah yeah um it, it it happens. I in my case, it was um, I had a I had a really bad cold and a couple of really violent sneezes, and I felt something loose at the top of my nose, right right up at the top of the nostrils, and I kind of snorted it down. I don't want to get too anatomical, but right, right, I kind right, of snorted right, it down, right, right. and then I cough. A, a minute later, I coughed out this big lump, this big clot, with a little little hard thing in the middle. And for some reason, I wanted to flush it down the wash basin as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, you know, very difficult to explain. And it, I only realized the next day that it was probably something I shouldn't have flushed away, but I, I'll flush right. it away. Right. And um, a lot of abductees report this, you know, they, they cough stuff out or that stuff comes out of their noses or, you know, and they, they, they've a frantic, they frantically want to get rid of it. So that there's something that they they put into your your mind mm-hmm. about if this ever comes out, you will just dispose of it. And um, in my case, after about six weeks, they replaced it. And there's some evidence that the the implants that have been in that have been analysed and investigated um, stop transmitting on these three separate frequencies. After about eight weeks or twelve weeks, they uh, once they're out of the human body, they continue to transmit for a while, mm-hmm. and then one day they just stop. And I, it's possible that when they stop transmitting, that alerts them to the fact that the mm-hmm. the the, the, the implant is either no longer in the abductee or has stopped working, and they take you again and put it back. They put a new one in. I would think there might be something in your in the reaction when they come out like that. Yeah. I mean, any human, I mean, if it's something that's, that's repressed in your brain, you know, like, like, yeah. like you say, you know, the fear is there. You just don't know it's there. And when you see this thing, the first thing mm. you think is, oh, my God, it's out. Let's just get rid of it. That way they can't come anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, in my case, um, when I cough the cloth out, it, my, my, I'm bleeding from both nostrils for 24 hours. Not a huge amount, but a little bit mm-hmm. for 24 hours before it stopped. So it was implanted. Um, up here into into the tissue 
a, quite a deep level. And once it came out that, you know, the quite a lot of tissue was displaced. So it took a while to heal. And we, when it was replaced six weeks later, it, uh, it bled similarly for 24 hours when they put it back. Interesting. It, it'd be interesting. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of your audience are not going to believe this stuff, <laughs> but I'm afraid it is, ha it is actually happening to some of us. <laughs> actually, the, my audience would believe it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would believe it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of my followers are ghost hunters and, and they're this and they're that and then they're fat. They're fast. Otherwise, they wouldn't be right. watching. You know, they wouldn't be yeah. watching that stuff. They didn't believe in it. The other mm. thing I, I thought was interesting, too, between your book and the Mojave incident was as a yep. ghost hunter now. A lot mm -hmm. of the things that people report when I go into somebody's house are similar to what yeah. you guys are reporting. Yeah. You what, know, limitations kind of to walls, orbs floating, you know, really? orbs floating in, yeah. in the house and things like that, that people are seeing. And then it makes me wonder, mm -hmm. just like with these holographic things, you know, for the memory that, that they're doing, you know, for, for people and their dead relatives yeah. and stuff. It makes me wonder whether we're, I'm actually hunting ghosts or I'm hunting aliens. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's potentially quite confusing, but I, I you know all I know is that abductees have a lot of weird stuff happen to them, which mm -hmm. don't superficially seem part of the of the program, mm -hmm. but their uh, abductee. Uh, do you know Debbie Jordan Cowbell? Do you know her? I do not. Um, she was the subject of um, Bud Hopkins's 1987 book Intruders. Mm -hmm. A film was made of Intruders, uh, starring Richard Crenna and Daphne Ashbrook and so forth, and a few other people, Stephen Burkhoff. And uh, Debbie subsequently wrote, co-wrote a book with her sister. And a couple of years ago, she wrote another book. And the basically, apart from the, abdu the abductions, she mm -hmm. has a ton of paranormal stuff going on with her all the time. Um, so uh, it, it, it's... You know everything from premonitions to um, weird things happening in the house, um, seeing figures going through the walls, which are not aliens. You know, there's sh right. strange shadowy figures and right, right. and losing things and finding them underneath the carpet where the carpet's nailed down at the corners, and all this loads and loads of paranormal stuff. Um, and she, her book is full of that stuff. Now, I, I, I from talking to um maybe 30 to 40 abductees as i've done over the years all of them have some of that going on gone they can all identify some paranormal components which mm -hmm. don't seem to fit into the abduction process like my mother um thought, thought it was very spiritual mm -hmm. and she was connected to to you know she she cloaked it in the she fitted into into that particular paradigm um but all abductees have to a greater or lesser degree, some quote paranormal unquote elements mm -hmm. that happen to them. Yeah. Well, you know, um, as a paranormal investigator, you know, the saying is that you're born with psychic abilities, but then as you get older, you kind of suppress them because you've got other things going on. And as you pointed out in your book, whatever happens when you go aboard these ships and you go in communication with, with these beings, it opens that mm. up. It opens mm. that up again. To make you more intense. It does seem. Like... It does seem to be the the, the, the communication is telepathic, and I right. obviously humans have some latent ability to, to communicate telepathically with each other. But our our global uh, societies and cultures don't really do that routinely. Uh -huh. um, we use speech and writing and right. radio and stuff. Right. Um, but obviously the ability is in there somewhere because they can talk to us uh, telepathically we can understand and we can talk back to them telepathically and they can understand and we can overhear them as they talk to each other telepathically and understand what they're saying so the the faculty is in there i think in all humans i mean it, it's possible it's it's not very evident in most humans but in abductees it's kind of woken up you right. know and and you know with repeated exposure to this, it gets practiced and it, be, it becomes easier to to engage with. I, I actually don't know. I I don't go into that. I mean, you you may you may um, know a little bit more about this aspect than I do. But I, I think you know with it with a telepathic communications, um, there's no example of any aware abductee who 
finally realizes what's going on and starts to investigate her or his experiences where they where they don't say all all the communications with the these entities are telepathic they're all they all say that all the time mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. now you talk about the grays and how you think mm. that the grays might just be on their not so much on their way out but as far as these abductions go how yeah. maybe they come to the end of their usefulness for whoever's controlling yeah them. i don't think the gray aliens which everybody um thinks are you know in the popular culture the bug-eyed large-headed mm -hmm. skinny uh, morphology gray alien is is a a staple of popular culture you know it's it, way back um spielberg's film close encounters of the third kind which was you know filmed in the um in the 1970s right. has these alien uh you know shapes this particularly shaped alien and um i don't think they're the instigators of the program i think they are um genetically engineered creations who who serve the abductors and do the grunt work mm -hmm. and i think they're uh the gray aliens are um sentient uh, feeling uh thinking beings with uh, uh, organic brains and basic emotions and i, I think they're engineered to work in the program and that's all they ever do is work in the program and you know th there are two types reported there are the short guys who um retrieve the abductee from his or her environment and take him back afterwards and do a few other things um when they're on board and there's the taller ones who look in, in morphology very similar to the short ones but they're a lot bigger and the taller ones do nearly all the complicated procedures the mind scan procedures and the um you know the gynae procedures and so forth and the medical examinations so they've got different roles they've got different functions in the program but i don't think any of them are um evolved you know beings like humans i just think they're genetically created specifically to do this work and you know that there's that i i'm there's a whole chapter i devote to the to the evidence behind this and the reasoning behind this um and um predominantly chapter nine but uh but uh, also in, also in chapter eight i i go into this in in some detail and i think the instigators of the program are not those beings but like you say and i agree with like i in the book i agree with you in that you know they've come so far with the with with the hybrids and the hybrids that um, now they're yeah. at a point where they don't need the grays. Well, that looks like that that looks like the case. I mean, I can't we can't be certain of it, but uh -huh. the evidence seems to point in that direction. Yeah, it does. Uh -huh. um, and I talk about the reptilian creatures too, which yes. some abductees report they deal with or, or, or over the years um not so much nowadays but i talk about what they might be and how they might be how they might have originally get, become involved in the program and I, you know there's an example i give in the final chapter right, um, right. Ab about about how we can be fairly certain that the uh, reptilians are also subservient to the instigators of the program um but are not the greys you know and there's reasons why they're they're in the program uh -huh. Yeah. Well, I would think, and I, and again, I, I agree with you in this whole book. You know, this is absolutely fascinating. Read. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to keep reading this thing over and over. <laughs> wow. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to memorize yeah. what's over. You know, but um, I agree with you that you know it's like any other program. When somebody or a scientific mm -hmm. program or a scientific study, when you're first starting to do it, you you got the feelers out. You're trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not going to yeah. work. And yeah. like with the reptilians, like, like you say in the book. But the reptilians, that's who you send out. That, that, that's your work would be to start out. Those are the ones in the 1800s that are, that are handling a lot of the abductions. Mm -hmm. And then as yeah. you progress, again, like I said, mm -hmm. you know, we're up to the hubrids and all this. So it, yeah. it, it's a constant progression as to how you, how, how you I want to say, slickerize. I'll use the word slickerize. Slickerize the operation. Well, uh, you know, it's in this one, this um, example I gave from the 1890s, um, mm -hmm somebody's grandfather who's now living in and working in istanbul and she she's a fourth generation abductee as well um she 
she she describes the experience of her great great grandfather uh, sorry her great grandfather who um was confronted by uh, abducted by two reptilian beings mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things about that is he he reported to his children and grandchildren that they communicated with him telepathically he reported that um he was unable to move um because they paralyzed him mm-hmm. and they forced him to listen to what they were telling him telepathically but he also reported that there was no missing time that the that the, the, the he had no missing time element which means that they didn't have the faculties that are engineered right. into the large gray aliens that can do the mind scan procedures and that that that's a, an essential element of the program once the the large gray aliens were in the uh, engineered into the program they can do this mind scan and bury their memories and make any abductee forget everything so the early uh, reports of the re- the reptilians in the 18 from the 1890s they weren't able to do that the, all of the abductees um were, who were visited by them had full memories of everything that happened so they couldn't um make the abductee forget they didn't have that mental faculty right, which right. when they could they right. could make the abductee forget yeah right and again that's that's from years of practice, you know, to, to figure sure. out what, what works and what doesn't work. And, and mm. maybe our, gener- our genetics mixed in with their, their genetics to make the improvements. Yeah, you know, it's possible that um, um, if they've used, it's possible that, that with humans, they, they see it as essential to bury the memories in some way. I mean, then the humans might, we might not be the only um you know, species that's been subject to this program, uh-huh. uh, it, it, you know, universally. I, I, God knows, you know, how, I, I talk about the sheer size of the galaxy and the sheer size of the right. universe in the last chapter. As to, we know, there's between 100 billion and 400 billion star systems in Milky Way alone. And uh, we don't know how many thousands of civilizations there are out there because, you know, the, the our system, our sun, and our, our planetary system, our solar system, is only one third of the age of the known age of the universe. So mm-hmm. um, there's um, stars and with planetary systems that are three times older than our sun mm-hmm. are out there by the tens of millions. So who knows what uh, might have evolved on them, you know? And uh, there's a whole vast history of the galaxy that we're not really anywhere close to understanding or maybe ne- may never be when do you think your first abduction was how old were you um I've, I've i've got a definite memory from about age six or seven but i'm fairly certain that they were going on before that see my mother's um been dead since um 2000 mm-hmm. and um i think she she knew that something was going on but she didn't know it was abduction uh, abducted uh, being abducted by aliens she mm-hmm. just referred to them as they mm-hmm. they do this and they do that and um and she used baffled and bemused by them and slightly um astounded by this whole whole thing that was going on with her but she wasn't really that frightened of it and she wasn't really um um and you know enlightened by it or anything she just saw it as a bit of a nuisance but it was a very real thing that was going on i think she said that um this thing was going on with me and with her and with her mother and uh she knew that those three for certain and i think she's she may have said to me on one of one or two occasions it's been going on with you since you're a little boy you know and uh you know it's still happening to us you know right 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 steve i want to thank you for coming on i really appreciate it thank you charlotte um do your uh, audience know where to get the book if you want to read it yeah why don't you tell us where to get the book and how to get a hold and, and how to reach you because i had one more question for you too about that okay 
there's a web there's a, a web page um, outoftimebook.info that's outoftimebook one word dot info and if you go to that web page you'll find direct links to the amazon uh, .com and amazon.co.uk in fact you can buy it from any amazon site all over the world because it's published by kdp um, and if you want to get in touch with me through the website there's a contact form so okay. Okay, cool. i look forward to hearing from you okay one more question that i had was if somebody thinks that they might have been abducted um what should they do oh goodness i wish i could advise really i i, I you know i there's no official channel you can follow you know you can try talking to um i mean if you've got ideas about that, uh, I would be very, I would be delighted to hear them because a lot of abductees ask me that, you know, who, who should I go to? And a, a lot of abductees have contacted me over the years because, you know, they, they know I've got a semi-public profile about this and, and you know, I knew Bud Hopkins really well and I've, I've been around the conference circuit quite a bit, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And they, they asked me, can I recommend a good regression hypnotist therapist, you know? Okay. And really the answer is usually no, it's, especially in the UK, there's, there's, I don't, I don't really know anybody. I tried a couple of people um, that, that were recommended to me way back in 2007. And um, they've, I don't know if they're still engaged with this. So it's, there is no track to follow. There is no where to report to. And you just have to link up with like-minded people and find your way through it, I'm afraid. Absolutely. And right. I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry I can't help you any more than that because Absolutely. I'm in the same, same situation as everybody else. Yeah. There you go. All right, Steve, thank you so much for uh, being here for an hour. I really appreciate it. And uh, okay, very Charlotte. educational. Your book, was, your book was fabulous. And um, again, thank you out, so much. Out of time. The intergenerational program abduction program explored with this interesting uh, fractal image on the front that's the book okay that's it that's the book thank yes, you sir. all right sir you have See a good rest of your weekend okay you too charlotte all thank right. you bye-bye bye-bye bye. all right that was steve aspen talking about his book out of time fascinating book if you get a chance to read it oh my gosh it it opened up a, a lot of things for you know a lot, a lot of stuff for me if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, if, you, if, if you're watching from Facebook today and you, and you like what you see, please be sure to hit that like button and follow because we have 450 other videos out of diff on different topics, including alien, alien abduction that you might be interested in, plus me being a journalist like I am. I like to cover different stuff. So, um, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Uh, what more can I say? It was a great show, and uh, I will see you guys tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, and uh, have a good evening. And here's Steve's info. His website is outoftimebook.info. The book is Out of Time. And you can get that at Amazon.com.